loving Father in heaven, we thank you for the awesome gift of Jesus who invested everything in us. Help us to be so thankful to invest everything in his kingdom. May, like Lindsay, all the gifts you have given us we use to the maximum to praise you and to impact everybody to give themselves to you because time is short. Now, dear Lord, take this earthen vessel that's mine and empty it of self. Break it if you want to. Reshape it, whatever you want to do so that you will fill it with your spirit and the fragrance of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Some people on this campus ask me questions because of their fear of the last days. What will I do with my children? What will I do with my elderly parents? And the only answer I can give them is, Jesus will walk with each one of us. When Jesus walks with us, we have nothing to fear. Look what the promise in Isaiah 41.10 said. Fear not. And he gives solid reasons for not being afraid. Fear not, because I am with you. The reason people feel afraid because they feel they're all alone. But we're never alone. Fear not, because I am with you. And when he is with us, it takes the fear away. Why is that? How is that logical? Christ is not afraid of anything. Christ is not afraid of the time of trouble. And because he is not afraid, we are not afraid. Why? Because we are next to him. We are with him. Isn't that a good answer? Biblical answer. I'm not afraid because Christ is with me. Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. You know, the word dismayed means baffled, confused. We live in a very confusing world. In every aspect. Don't be dismayed because I am your God. He doesn't say because I'm God. He says I am your God. And there you have the possessive pronoun. Your God. We belong to God. He belongs to us. Just like saying I don't worry when I get sick. Because Dr. Johnson is our family doctor. And then it says I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. In the Bible, the word hand represents power. Because, you know, our strength is concentrated in the hand. I will uphold you, which means what? Hold you, but uphold you. Like when I play with my grandson who is four and uh, I'm taller than him. I'm not taller than many, many people, but I'm taller than my grandson. What do I do? 
I hold him like this and bring him up to where I am and talk to him. God will uphold us with his victorious right hand. The word hand in the Bible represents power. Right hand, if you're right-handed, right hand represents God's maximum power. And there you have the adjective in Hebrew, victorious. Therefore, God does his best for us with his maximum power that's not dormant but active. Because of that, we don't fear the time of trouble because God's powerful right hand will be victorious in our behalf. In other words, God is going to do his utmost best for us. That's what I think about when I think of the time of trouble that really encourages me. So no matter what happens to us, Jesus is always with us. And people say, well, you know, I need to take, take time to build a cabin in the woods, away from everybody. What about if you're caught off guard? You don't have time or resource to build a cabin. What's going to happen to you? Are you going to be in trouble? Christ will be with you in a cabin, in the wilderness, anywhere you are. You say, well, I might die. Let me ask you a very blunt question. Are we afraid to die? Because eternal life is guaranteed for us. God is wise enough to let us rest before the great time of trouble or let us go through it. And nobody can say which is better. It depends on your situation. It depends on your relationship with God. Let God decide that he is wise enough to decide for us. I tell you, I'd be very afraid if I don't have Jesus in my heart. Can you imagine facing trouble and death without Jesus? So, if it is for us to die for the cause of Christ, there's hope of the resurrection. We'd rest for a while in Christ, and then we'll be resurrected. So, what can they do to us? Nothing. If you're in Christ, there's nothing that can happen to you that will undermine your eternal destiny with Jesus. And the question I want to ask all of us this afternoon, are we anchored, are we anchored in the rock? What's your anchor today? Every anchor we have will be dismantled quick, except being anchored in the rock Jesus. Nothing will happen to that. Nothing. The question is, everyone has to have an anchor. What have you chosen to have for yourself as an anchor? I'm reminded of the hymn, especially the words of this hymn apply to our time today. Do you remember this hymn? In times like these, Times like what? Like these times. 
What about these times? Do you, do you feel something is different in the air? We are Americans. We are used to democracy and freedom. Sometimes we, we, we don't feel the change. But I come from another country. I've seen dictatorship. I've seen all kinds of things. And I feel something is happening. In times like these, people like you and me, good citizens who want to exercise our right to vote. I always voted. What a privilege it is to vote. In some countries you can't vote, and if you vote the wrong way, they kill you. But people are wondering, who do you vote for? Maybe Hillary Clinton. Or maybe Donald Trump. I heard some amen in the back there. Be careful. Or maybe Bernie Sanders. What kind of choices do we have? In times like these. And you know something? The Donald, they call him the Donald. He claims he can solve all our problems in this country. He can't. Only Christ can solve all our problems by his second coming. We're living in the last day. Hillary claims with her programs and experience, domestically, internationally, she can solve all our problems. Hillary cannot solve all our problems. Neither Bernie Sanders. In times like these, we need more than Hillary, more than the Donald, more than Bernie. In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure about this. It's not a matter of guessing or assuming or having false assurance. Be very sure. Be very sure. You anchor holes and grips the solid rock. And who is this rock? This rock is Jesus. He is the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. We live in a very postmodern age, full of relativism. And when I, the Lord helped me, publish the book Christ Method Alone. Believe it or not, some Adventists, even some leaders, question the title. Are you telling me Christ is the only one who has this method that gives genuine success? I said, yes. Well, that's prideful. That's arrogant, that you only think of one way. This is narrow-minded. Be open-minded. When it comes to Christ's priority to be the only one, It is an awesome blessing to stick to Jesus, the only one. If it's Saman's method, that's arrogant. If it's Gallimore's method, that's prideful. But when it's Jesus' method alone, this is the truth because Jesus himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So I tell our pastors whenever I speak at workers' meetings, they say I'll be speaking to about five workers' meetings, um, oh, Dr. Saman, we're so glad to have you here. We hear you're a good speaker. You have good ideas. You even use humor. We're looking forward to hear you. I said, I'm not here to present my ideas about pastoring. 
I'm here to present Jesus' ideas about pastoring. Wouldn't that be wonderful if every pastor in the Adventist church would learn to pastor like Jesus? In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure that your anchor holds. That's the time to make sure our anchor holds. Don't wait till the end. Grips a solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Are there many other rocks? How many other rocks are there? To some people out there, many rocks. Anybody can be a rock. But there's only one rock. This rock is Jesus. He's the one. This rock is Jesus. The only one. I think I told this before, but I like to repeat it. We were just eating lunch at the Faraz family, and we met Pastor Faraz, mother and father-in-law, and Pastor Daniel Faraz's wife's name is what? How many know the Farazes? What is his wife's name? Petra. You remember that, right? That's a Greek name. She is German, but her parents gave her a Greek name. I think that fits because, because Germany uh, bails out Greece in its financial problems. <laughs> Petra means solid mountain of a rock. There's a city in Jordan, been there for thousands of years. It's called Petra. Everything is carved out of the solid rock in the mountain. Buildings, houses, everything. The city is made out of rock. That's why it's called Petra. That's the rock I'm talking about. Jesus is called Petra in the Bible. But you see, uh, the papacy want to have authority more than the Bible gives it. It says, no, Petra is not Jesus. Petra is the church. My friends, do you want the Seventh-day Adventist Church to be anchored in you or me? No. Won't you rather have it be anchored in Jesus? That's why be careful if you're chosen to be an elder, a head elder, a deacon. Don't ever think you are the leader. Jesus is the leader of your church. That's why once in a while I'm consulted about a head elder who's been an elder there for 27 years. And now they say, maybe we should train new blood, young people to be elders. We like you, but take a break. Wouldn't you want to take a break after 27 years? No. The church is rejecting me because I'm the leader of the church. What can the church do without me? I've heard elders say that. Oh, my good friend, with all due respect to you, the church can do a lot with Jesus being the leader. So then, I have a friend who's a Catholic, never listened to anybody to share with him about the head is Jesus, because he feels his church has the keys of Peter. And not only that, but Peter is Petra, the rock. 
And the church established on Petra the rock, Peter. If you go to, how many have visited the Vatican, by the way? Beautiful place. No wonder Owen White said, when you visit the place, pomp and ceremony, it's so gorgeous, it's so magnificent. You hear the music. She says people can think that's a true church because it's so beautiful, everything is so great. And the throne of the Pope sits on the tomb of St. Peter. Got the authority. You're anchored in Peter. You sit on the tomb of Peter. So finally, this friend of mine said to me, well, the Adventist church cannot be the true church. Why? Because it's not anchored on Peter. We are. And Peter is the rock. Well, fortunately, I know biblical Greek. How many know, how many know Greek here? Biblical Greek. You know, for a pastor, for a theologian, for evangelist, it's good to know biblical language, to know the original. I said, thank you for bringing this point up. Let me open my Bible. And I have interlinear. We have Greek and English. You know what it says? Thank God for the truth in the Bible. You know what it says? In Greek. You looking at Jesus looking at Peter. You are Petros. And on this Petra, you know, people say, well, it's the same word, Petros. But no, no, no. Two different words in Greek. In English, it's the same thing. In the original, two different words. You are Petras, Peter. And on this Petra, I will build my church. And this Catholic friend of mine was convinced for the first time. Because I said to him, I mean, you have a choice. Either build on Petras or Petra. Let me tell you the difference. Petras, that's the name of Peter. Rolling, flimsy, unstable stone. How do I know that? He denied Jesus three times. How do I know that? I promise to go with you and I'll die with you. He ran away. Not only he ran away by himself, he gathered all the disciples to flee away from Jesus. He is one who said, you will never sacrifice your life on the cross. He said, get behind me, Satan. Come on. Peter, more than wonderful disciple. Mighty evangelist. But you see, he had trouble, didn't he? He had trouble. That's like all of us. We're all a bunch of Petros. Because we change, we're unstable. We get discouraged. We go up, we go down. We cannot afford to build the church on such unstable rolling stone. My friend, my Catholic brother, would you rather build the church on a flimsy, unstable, movable Petros? Or would you rather build the church on Petra? And he was in Petra, and he saw this whole city carved out of the mountain rock. He said, I would rather have the church built on Petra, which is Jesus. You, you, you are Petros, I'm Petros. But on this Petra, Jesus. See, the Greek is very helpful here because there are two different words. 
So today we're talking about the rock that will help us in the last days. Now, I shared also with you, I'm sharing some promise to encourage you. Psalm 16.8. It has the word shaken in it. I've set the Lord always in front of me because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. How not to be shaken last days? Two things have to do with the location of Christ. You know, in the real estate business, real estate agents have a, a very important word. What's the word? And they say it how many times? Three times. Location, location, location. Dr. O'Malley, did you think when you built your house by the river in Michigan, did you think about location? Yeah, yeah, very nice location. By a river, that, that, that's priceless property. Location is important when it comes to your house. I'm talking about the location Christ finds in your life and my life. What's the location? Two locations. If you, want, if you don't want to be shaken in the last days, what do you do? You have Jesus in front of you as your guide and leader. And then on your side, right hand side, as your helper. He's your right hand person. He is at your side to help you. Not only to lead you and guide you, but to stick around you to help you. If you don't want to be shaken, have Jesus in these two important locations. Are you with me? Are you resonate with what I'm telling you? You know, this one thing about preaching here. I have to stand up high. I wish I could be down there with you. I like to walk between you. This is a seminar, but this is good for the taping, you see. And sometimes I'm afraid. Pray for me. I get excited. And a few times this week, I almost stepped over. Would you please pick me up if I fall? At my age, I'm glad Dr. Umali is here. At my age, if I fall and break a bone, I mean, I would need help. So, so far, I'm playing it safe. I come to the, uh, to the close. Thank you for being here, for being so attentive. What I'm saying, does that resonate with you? Don't you want Jesus to be in these two locations in your life? In front of you as your guide and leader, next to you as your helper? So that will not be shaken in these last days. I'm talking to you about reasons why not to be shaken. Another hymn I love. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. There's only one solid foundation. It's the solid rock, Jesus Christ. That's the only way I can help people in their trouble is when I find myself anchored in the rock Jesus. And from that position of strength, we can help other people. 
a story is told. Do you like stories? How many like stories? Raise your hand. Some people forget the whole sermon, but remember the story. This morning, somebody talked to me and said, I remember a story you told 44 years ago. Yes, I even forgot my story. <laughs> I said, what about the sermon? Yeah, I know nothing about this. I just remember the story. No, I don't believe in the story. It's, it's like a fairy tale. It's just listen to it for the moral of the story. I read this in a Christian book. It says, once upon a time, they lived a frog who really wasn't a frog. He used to be a handsome prince, but he got in trouble. And he was transformed into a lowly, ugly frog. And he was sitting on a lily pad floating down the river of life. He was hoping and waiting for a beautiful princess to hold him in her hand and to kiss him because only through the kiss of a princess he could be transformed again into a handsome prince. Lo and behold, one day, a beautiful princess was walking by that river and she saw this ugly, slimy, insecure frog. She felt sorry for the frog and she grabbed the frog in her dainty hands and kissed him. Now remember, don't, don't, don't take this seriously. This is just a fable, okay? I'm going to draw a lesson from it. Don't ever tell anybody after the sermon that someone believes in fables. I don't. And he was transformed into a handsome prince. And they held hands together. And they lived, ever, they lived happily ever after. And the author of that Christian book used that illustration. He said, what's our task as Christians who are anchored in Jesus as his princes and princesses anchored in the rock? And from that position of strength, we are to see all the frogs around us and uh, have mercy on them, kiss them in the sense, accept them, help them to belong, show them God's up, kiss them. And our mission is to transform frogs in this world into handsome princes. And beautiful princesses. I thought that's, you know, that's a good lesson. We are in the business transforming people. And I thought that was the end of the story when I shared this with a group of academy students at a week of prayer. After I finished the sermon, I was in the library, and two young ladies were giggling and laughing about something, and they're holding in their hand a magazine. They said to me, there are four sets of cartoons on that page. But they only wanted me to look at one at a time. So the first cartoon, it has to do with the story you told. The first set of cartoons, there was a slimy, ugly frog. That wasn't funny. They're laughing. I wasn't laughing. The second set of cartoons, a beautiful princess was approaching the ugly frog. That's okay so far, not funny. The third set of cartoons, the, actually the princess 
was kissing the frog. That didn't look very good. They are laughing, and I wasn't laughing. They said, one more you got to see, the last one, the fourth one. And I was expecting beautiful princess, handsome prince, living happily ever after. Instead, it was two frogs. There's a lesson in that. If you venture to change frogs into princes and processes for Jesus, you better be anchored in the rock Jesus. Otherwise, instead of transforming them, the frogs, they transform you into frogs. And we have too many frogs in this world. Ellen White said, if you hope to pull people out of the miry clay. Are you acquainted with clay? Well, I live in Georgia. There's a lot of clay. Oh, it's hard when it's dry, like cement. When it rains, it's just very slippery, very unstable. Can you imagine you have a hole of wet, slippery clay, and you fall in the hole, you can't get out. And then to rescue you, I'm not anchored anywhere. I just come to the hole with you. Misery loves company. How can we rescue each other being stuck in the miry, wet clay, slippery clay? That's what Alan White said. If you hope to rescue somebody from the miry, slippery hole, you better have your feet anchored in the rock Jesus. That's why I like these songs. Our anchor is Jesus. Our rock is Jesus. It's Petra. He's the only one. All these reference I get from, uh, from the books, they just come to my mind. You know, I authored the books, so I hope I know something about my books. <laughs> There's a statement in Gospel Workers, inspired statement. I don't know if you heard it before. I'll share it with you, and I will ask if you ever heard that before. Very, I collect unusual statements from Ellen White. Unusual. This is one of them. And I'm quoting now verbatim. In his love and mercy toward us, God often, not once in a while, often permits those in whom we put too much trust to disappoint us so that we might finally learn the valuable lesson of putting our ultimate trust in Jesus. How many have heard this statement before? One, two, three, four, five, six. Wonderful. This is one of the most helpful statements I ever found in her writings. I want to repeat it. It's in God's love and mercy. He often permits those in whom we trust too much. Have you ever had the experience of trusting in your close friends too much and they disappointed you? It's a painful experience. In times of crisis, they abandoned you. They betrayed you. So what does God do? 
He purposely, intentionally allows them to disappoint us. Why? So he might drive us to trust him, put our ultimate trust in him. Other ground is sinking sand, but Jesus is a solid rock. And that's why, please do not go and talk to your friends, who good friends, close friends, whom you trusted too much, and say, by the way, it's kind of strange. Uh, I feel like you are, you are not as close to us anymore. I've, have we done something wrong? I say, no, you haven't done anything wrong. Everything okay, everything okay. But why do we feel we're not as close to you? They don't know why. Because it's God's doing. It's not their doing. It's God's doing. Permitted them to draw away from us. Even disappoint us so we will be propelled to put our full trust in Jesus. Yes. Uh, well, you, you got to have the book. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just teasing. I, I, I could find it for you. I mean, I could find it now. But it just came to my head. Give me, give me some time. Okay. You like this statement? Is it helpful? It's very helpful. So now I have many, many friends, close friends. When somehow things change, I don't worry. It's God's doing. Why? Because he loves me. He wants me to put his ultimate trust in him. You see, you feel like it's a class asking the professor something in the middle of the lecture, and now I feel like I need to answer your question, right? Why not? Now, you know, let's see here if we can find it. Thank you for praying for me. The Lord helped me find it. I wasn't going to discuss the subject, but it's right here. Page 108 of the book, Christ's Method Alone. It's about the step how we learn to trust people. It's found in Christ's Object Lessons. I said Gospel Workers. Christ's Object Lessons, page 140. Christ's Object Lessons, page 146. And the Ministry of Healing, page 486. I'm focusing on the one in Ministry of Healing. 486, 486. I'm going to read this to you verbatim. We are prone to look to our fellow men for sympathy and uplifting instead of looking to Jesus. In his mercy and faithfulness to us, God often permits those in whom we place confidence to fail us in order that we may learn the folly of trusting in man and make him flesh our arm. Let us trust fully, humbly, and selfishly in God. Now, it's not saying that we shouldn't trust our friends. It's not saying that we should not have friends, that we shouldn't have sympathy from them. No, it's not saying that. Don't make this your ultimate source. Trust people, trust your friends, but not ultimately, not like you trust Jesus, because people change. Haven't you had friends who change on you? They're human. Jesus is our best friend who never changes toward us. So you got this page, 486, from the book, Ministry of Healing. Let me talk about Jesus the Rock 
from a different angle. Some of you have the book from the second seminar, Dare to be a Daniel. If you do, I'm looking at page 48, Dare to be a Daniel. The subheading, Rock of Salvation or Rock of Condemnation, based on Luke chapter 20 and verse 18. Luke 20 and verse 18. That's our key text here. And Jesus is referring to himself as a rock, as Petra. And he, gave, he, he gives us, and he gave the Pharisees two choices about it. We all have two choices about the rock. We got to choose. We cannot escape the choice. We can escape other choices, but we cannot escape this choice. Especially in the United States, we have so much freedom to escape choices, to escape certain situations. The average American marriage lasts seven years. Why? Because people have the freedom and the willingness to change spouses. You can do that. Or to change cars. I went to Toyota to get my car service, my Toyota van. All the salesmen came upon me, trying to convince me to buy a new one. Why? I like my car. Toyota makes such good vans. I mean, why would I change? Well, are you American? They question my nationality. Are you American? What do you mean? I'm American. You don't sound like it. Because Americans like the novelty. Just to get a new car for the fun of it. The way it smells, even though it depreciates thousands of dollars when it leaves, the lot. Just like, I said, no, I'm not interested in that. The, the car works for me. I don't want to spend $20,000 more. Well, think about it. You change your mind. Can you take a drive in the new van? No, I don't want to. Well, just for the fun of it. Oh, don't entice me. What, what's the difference anyway? Well, the lights in the back are shaped differently. I don't care about the lights. It's almost all the same. We change our cars. In my part of the world, if you have a family house built out of stone and concrete, you leave it in the family. It's amazing how in this country people change houses. You have neighbors, they live in a house for two, three years. It appreciates it. They sell it and buy another house. I said, well, don't you have any sentimental value for this? Oh, no, it's just for business. In other words, in our culture, it's so easy to change everything. We change jobs. We change majors in college. I have a student who changes major 12 times. I said, you got to choose. Otherwise, spend your whole life changing majors. He said, I like it. How do you li why do you like it? Then I, I don't have to, you know, I like to be cozy as a student, have food in the cafeteria, have people wash my clothes, and, and I just like it. I said, no, you got to be a man. Mature, find a major, and then Move on with your life. People change things. But yet with this challenge he gives us, you got to choose. You cannot evade the choice. He gives us two choices in this text found in Luke 20, verse 18. This is what he says. I'm the rock. The first choice I give you, either fall on me, or I, the rock, will fall on you. That's quite a challenge, isn't it? You and I must deal with the rock. 
There is no escape from that. A student dropped out in the middle of the semester because he didn't want to study. He was failing. He said, well, I don't have to go to school. I'll go and work at a gas station. He had a choice. We don't have a choice not to deal with the rock Jesus. We have to deal with the rock Jesus. And the first choice he gives us, fall on the rock. Second choice, or the rock will fall on you. And we make the decision. Jesus doesn't make the decision. He provides himself on the rock. He said, I want you desperately to fall on me right now in humility and repentance. And salvation. You might be bruised a little bit. You might be broken a little bit. But I'd rather have you be broken on the rock than be destroyed by the rock. Now, this is hard language, isn't it? Because I know of people who believe in a certain kind of Jesus. Have you heard of people like that? They only like one part of Jesus. Sorry. I know of a doctoral student in theology in the Adventist church. He spent two years trying to work on his doctoral dissertation. It was about what Christ is like. At a professional theological meeting, he said he's going to leave all the research behind because what he found in the Bible about Jesus, he did not like. He didn't like all of it. So now he's going to work harder to find a Christ he likes. What kind of a Christ do you want? Oh, somebody who loves me, somebody who doesn't hold me accountable, somebody who doesn't judge, somebody who doesn't want us to obey him, so you think it's like a buffet restaurant? You pick and choose what you like about Jesus? And be careful about some ideas creeping into our church and saying you could believe about Jesus anything you want. Don't focus on obedience. Don't focus on sanctification. Just say we all love Jesus. And that helps us to get along with everybody. We would like to get along with everybody as much as possible. Live at peace with everybody as much as possible. When it comes to compromising our faith and denying the true Jesus of the Bible, we fail. We want to have all of Jesus, not just part of Jesus. Do you ever get married to somebody you say, you know, so if you don't mind, I'd like to be married to one part of you. I mean, that sounds funny, doesn't it? Excuse me, sweetheart, I'm only going to get married to one part of you. And let's find out what part, you know? I mean, I'm in love with you here. I, I love your cooking. That's all I want. That's not marriage at all. When you marry somebody, you marry all of them. When you marry Jesus, you marry all of Jesus. And that's why I like this text. which is used on me a lot by people who have a problem with Jesus being complete. Well, Dr. Saman, look. Look at Romans 8, verse 1. Look what it says. For now, there is no condemnation. You see? Jesus doesn't condemn anybody. 
For now there is no judgment. It's just like some students tell me, Dr. Saman, we heard that now there is no final exam in your class. That rumor spreads, by the way, and I correct it quickly. No condemnation, no judgment. And you know, all I have to say is not to argue with them, but smile and say, would you please read the rest of the story? That's all. Why? Because people like to pick and choose. Oh, I, this is a nice verse from the Bible, but I like the first part only. I mean, if you're my good friend, I like only the first two words of your sentence. The others I reject or I don't listen to. What's the rest of the story? I said, let's go to the Bible together. Every promise of God has conditions. Only God's love is unconditional. All his promises are conditional. And there is a condition for this promise. There is no condemnation. What's the rest of the story? For those, that's the condition. For those who love God. No, I'm sorry. For those who do not walk according to the flesh, but who walk according to the Spirit. That's the condition. Uh, my friend, let me ask you a very simple question. Are you walking according to the flesh or are you walking according to the Spirit? Oh, sir, to be honest with you, I'm walking according to the flesh. Well, let me help you to walk according to the Spirit so that you will not suffer in the judgment. That's a complete picture of Jesus. He's not only the one who loves us, he's the one who judges us. I'm not trying to scare you, I'm just saying if you are walking with Jesus according to the Spirit, judgment is good news for you because it's going to vindicate you. Well, even look, you tell me, well, all God's promises are conditional. Yes, all of them. Even John 3.16, what does John 3.16 say? Is, is there a condition there? And most people don't see a condition. They see eternal life and salvation and love. Could somebody recite that text for me? You sit in the front. I hold you accountable to be exempt. Excuse me? What's happening here to my class? What's happening to my class? Five people recite the same promise together. This is good. And you must have memorized from the King James Version. Did you, did you get together before this presentation to agree you're going to recite this text together verbatim in the same translation? Where is the condition in that text, in that promise? Whosoever. Whosoever. Everybody says, oh, God loves you so much, he gave his son for you, and there is eternal life for you. Of course, that's the emphasis of that. But notice the conditional. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. The word perish is there. People ignore the word perish. They got caught up in eternal life. Eternal life. But their choices are there. Perishing or having eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you have everlasting life. If you disbelieve in Jesus, you perish. Is that clear to you? If you have your textbook, Dare to be a Daniel, I want to conclude 
with something and make an appeal afterwards. Are you ready for an appeal? Do you like appeals? Some people don't like appeals. You know, Satan makes appeals all the time. Always makes seductive, enticing appeals for people to follow him every day, every hour, every minute. It's high time for God's people to make appeals for people to accept Jesus. I remember I was invited to speak to some Adventist organization in this world. I won't say what country. And they said, Dr. Saman, we hear that you make appeals. I do, I stand guilty. Well, our people don't like appeals around here. It makes them nervous. It makes them uncomfortable. It puts them on the spot. I said, well, you know, the Lord impressed me to make appeals. Well, listen, is it okay if you commit yourself not to make appeals and you can come and we'll pay everything, pamper you, put you in a nice hotel? Can you imagine what a request? So what about if the Holy Spirit impressed me to make an appeal? I said, excuse me, such a conference doesn't want to make appeals. I said, well, I'd love to come to your conference, but I cannot. I have to make appeals. Either you let me make appeals, or I'm not coming. Or I'm not coming. How dare we see the devil making all kinds of appeals to our people? Constantly, and not allow appeals to make to be made in favor of Jesus. So prepare your house for an appeal. Is that okay with you? Doctor Nixon, John Nixon, who was the pastor of the College Dale Church for some years. And we invite him to teach theology for us. After he started teaching, a sister from that church saw him in Village Market. It's like Apple Valley at Andrews. Oh, Pastor Nixon, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so happy you're teaching now. Congratulations. Thank you, sister. Why would you say that? She said, when you were preaching, every time you preached, you made an appeal at the end. It pricked my conscience. You were asking for repentance. You know, let me tell you the truth, okay? I'm so glad you left the church. You're not preaching anymore because I come to church to relax and to smile and to have nice words said to me. I can't stand for the Lord to convict me in my heart to repent. So I'm relieved. I don't have to hear your sermons anymore and hear any more appeals. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I told my friend, Dr. Nixon, that was the greatest compliment she gave you. Do we come to church to be cozy and comfortable? Or do we come to be convicted of sin and righteousness and make our decision for Christ before it's too late? You don't come to church so I can make you feel cozy? Everything is fine? Peace, peace? And so I want you to think about this as you look at page 48 in the book, Dare to be a Daniel. 
is entitled Rock of Salvation or Rock of Condemnation. Please don't think I'm hard. I'm just talking to you about the Bible. You don't have to experience the Rock of Condemnation. You only have to experience the Rock of Salvation. It's your choice, my choice. But the most, I'm reading a little bit after that subheading, but the most applicable reference to the stone in Daniel 2.44 is what Jesus said about himself. You see that stone cut without human hand? That's Jesus. In Luke 20.18, in the context of warning the Jewish leaders about their rejection of him, the rock, he said, whoever falls on that stone will be broken. By the way, brokenness is a positive thing. Humility is a positive thing. Being bruised is a positive thing. Oh, I tell you, when you're broken on the rock, God heals you. It's the most wonderful spiritual experience. I know of people who have fallen on the rock. I can tell who they are by the way they talk to me. They come across meek and lowly in heart. Humble, having a great sense of gratitude to God for everything. And they lose this arrogance and they lose this overconfidence. How are you, brother? I'm top of the world. Everything's great. Wait a minute. The only person who always on top of the world is Jesus. We come up and down. Mountains and valleys, that's how life is. Being broken on the rock of Jesus helps you to be humble and mild and lowly in heart and meek. So don't complain if the Lord breaks you on his rock. You're not going to die. He'll humble you, bruise you. But I'd rather have you bruised than dead. Oh, brother, you're speaking the truth and love to me. You are warning me about something in the spirit of love. You don't complain about that. I'd rather have you be warned by a loving brother about something that's, that's negative. Spoken love, of course, than to have you lose eternal life. Jesus loved Judas as he washed his feet. Loving warning, please stay with me. Let me cleanse you from all unrighteousness that Judas chose to leave Jesus. Look what happened. But who, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. You know, I didn't say that. Believe me, in my preaching and teaching, I don't use words like that. Grind you to powder? I don't even, the language kind of to me hard, but it's Jesus grinding somebody to powder. And I, I, I know you're going to eat supper after a while, not in two, three hours, but you know the news this morning about this poor little boy with his parents vacationing by a certain lagoon in Florida. And a big alligator jumped out of the water. I don't even like to think about it. Did, did you hear the news? And he jumped out of the water and he grabbed this little boy. 
took him down in the water. And you know what crocodiles do to their prey? They killed 11 crocodiles to see where the body of this infant was. Finally, this morning, they found him in the belly of the, uh, the uh, crocodile they shot. I, I don't want to see any more. What happened to this little boy? I don't even know if they should have done that. That's gruesome. Please, when it comes to words of the judgment, we don't have to be condemned. We don't have to have this stone fall upon us. And Jesus said, grind it into powder. The hand cut without a human hand will fall in the last days upon the nations of this world and they all be all become like ashes. And this stone will become a great kingdom and fill the whole earth. You know what's going to happen? For the ones who do not fall on the rock, in repentance and confession and salvation, they will say, I want the rocks to fall on me. Hide me from the coming of the Lord. Hide me from coming of the Lord. Rocks fall on us. I pray to God when we have time, and the door of the ark still open. This will never happen to any one of us. It doesn't have to happen to any one of us. I'll continue reading a little bit here. Everyone has to decide what to do with the stone. Will it be to us a despised stone or a precious stone? Will it be to us a stone of condemnation or a stone of salvation? It has to be neither or. There is no other choice. And the choice has to be made now before it is too late. The stone either bruises you or grinds you. Page 49, that's the last quotation I will share with you middle of the page in the third, second paragraph. Ellen White said in the South Asians, there are those who fall upon the rock and are broken. Submission to Christ and faith in him are here represented to be, to fall upon the rock and be broken is to give up our self-righteousness and to go to Christ with the humility of a child, repenting of our transgressions and believing in his forgiving love. I know that Dr. O'Malley, we are so blessed to have him here from Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's going to favor us with a special song that fits what I'm saying. I think the title of it is In My Darkness Jesus Found Me, right? Is that the song? Oh, he, he looked beyond my faults. Some I need. We're all qualified because we're all needy, and he looks beyond our fault, sees our need to help us. I want to make the appeal as a prepare to have the special music. 
Has your heart been touched that today you want to fall on the rock Jesus? You don't want to wait. You want Jesus as your rock of salvation. What's wrong with being humble? What's wrong with being meek? Jesus was humble and meek and only in heart. Jesus looks beyond our faults. All of us have faults. He's our need. And we all have needs and we qualify very well to fall on Jesus. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you to fall on Jesus the rock and he becomes your rock of salvation, would you please bow your heads with me? And I want to ask my friend, Dr. Umali, who is an elder in his church in Grand Rapids, to have a special prayer that we submit ourselves to Christ, a rock, knowing that he looks beyond faults, shortcomings, and sins, and he sees our need for him. Would you please pray this prayer? Father in heaven, thank you for this blessed day. Thank you for the messages you've provided. Thank you for the power that you show every day in our lives and around us. And Father, we want to cling to you as that solid rock that you will be the anchor in our lives through these storms Amen. that are going on now and are about to hit. Amen. Father, give us that safety of being near you Amen. and the strong anchor we need. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.